1: my hope is that we can have that same kind of cute Mm. like joy Mm. like right now your face Mm -hmm. if you're the joy that you had in expressing that crush that same kind of innocent joy for a kid who's lgbtq as well
0: you're listening to the mindful mama podcast episode number 352 today we're talking about raising lgbtq allies with chris tompkins kids. Hey, welcome back. I am so glad you're here. Listen, if you haven't done so yet, please hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you've ever gotten any value from this podcast, please do me a favor, go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and re- review. It just helps the podcast grow more. It takes 30 seconds and I, I greatly appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. In just a moment, I'm going to be sitting down with Chris Tompkins, a teacher, speaker, and life coach, and author of the book Raising LGBTQ Allies, A Parent's Guide to the Changing Messages from the Playground. And we're going to talk about raising LGBTQ allies, but I think it's really important to realize that when our kids are little, right, we don't know whether they will ultimately be gay, straight, or something else, right? We don't know what their sexual orientation is. So how do we raise kids to feel loved and accepted and confident and emotionally secure and emotionally healthy, right? No matter what, right? Or how do we raise LGBTQ allies? So when my daughters were little, I had no idea what their sexual orientation would be. And ultimately, I found out about a year ago that my oldest daughter is gay. And it was funny when she came up to me because she felt very included. And I will tell the story in this episode of how she came out to me. You know, LGBTQ kids are at risk, higher risk of so many things, suicide and drug use and all these things, because there's ultimately a lack of acceptance of who they are in our society and we don't want that for our kids right so it behooves us no matter how old our kids are whether we you know whatever they turn out to be to have an atmosphere of inclusion and open conversation in our homes so I talked to Chris Tompkins about this, and we talk. I want you to listen for some important takeaways, how kids learn a lot from what we don't say, how to build that atmosphere of inclusion, and also there's so many resources at every age, and you're going to hear me be really honest and struggle with some of the issues that are coming up in this conversation, so I hope you get a lot out of it, and let's dive in. Join me at the table as I talk to Chris Tompkins. All right, so as the mom of a, uh, like within the last year, I found out my daughter is gay. So it was a really interesting uh, time for me. I'm excited to see your book, Raising LGBTQ Allies. And I, you know, I was wondering, first, I wanted to just ask you about the impetus, like what made you want to write this book?
1: Yeah, yeah. A lot of reasons. Um, I think, you know, I've heard before that each of us, we all have a book inside of us. And so I feel like this was percolating in me for a very long time. And uh kind of what really was the the kind of the final answer to the book was I was at home um visiting my family. I I live in California, my family lives in Arizona. And I was I was there, ironically, giving a workshop at the Arizona Equality and Justice Conference, which, which is an LGBTQ-related conference. And I went home after the conference was over, and my mom had a, it was a big family function at my house, and a lot of my family was over there, I have a large family. And my nephew, like all kids do, you know, he was running around playing, and he just had the thought, ran over up to me and I was sitting next to a childhood friend of mine who's female and he ran up to me and, and whispered and his version of whispering he was eight at the time um was out <laughs> was talking out loud and so he he whispered slash talked out you know spoke out loud Uncle Chris is she your girlfriend mm-hmm. and then I kind of just it was like one of those moments in time where everything kind of slows down and I just I was kind of caught off guard by his his question I, I was kind of surprised by everyone else's reaction um I I got embarrassed because I I it it was a question that completely caught me off guard and so then later that night I started to think like why did my nephew ask if I had a girlfriend I I just kind of thought he already knew I was gay I've I've been out his entire life and I I moved to Los Angeles to work for an LGBTQ related organization I was in Arizona giving this con you know workshop at a conference and and so then I started to ask parents you know, the next day, parents in my life, my mom even, um, and my mom's response actually was, oh, Chris, they're not old enough to understand. Hmm. And that's what I realized like, oh, there are, there are nuances to this, this conversation. And so I started to you know, ask my sister and, and friends of mine who, who, had, who had kids And a lot of them said, you know, well, I want to talk to them. I just don't know what to say, or I don't know what at age, you know, would be a good starting Mm -hmm. point. Um, So then that kind of propelled me on this path of diving in and researching all this information. And then that, and then I ended up writing a letter to my family Mm. because we have a lot of young kids in our family. And I realized that by them not considering that their kids could be LGBTQ Mm-hmm. We're perpetuating the closet, which the closet is a hotbed for shame. Um, mm-hmm. Myself, I was in the closet my entire childhood and so the effects of that can be pretty harmful. So mm-hmm. I was wanting to prevent that uh, before it began. And then that letter ended up being published on the Huffington Post and turned into a TEDx talk and then the book and that and the rest is history.
0: Oh, awesome. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. And if you think you have a bunch of nieces and nephews, the chances, chances are one of them could be gay and then they don't even under understand that this is a, a possibility in life. Like that's, that's a lot of ignorance there for, yeah. for those, those kids to be And Were you, how were you raised? Were you like raised in a family that was you know, conservative or, or I don't know, how would you gauge that for, I mean, and 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 knowing obviously times were different, but.
1: Yeah. 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 You know, I don't even know that it's ignorance. I think that it could be ignorance. I think that there are a lot of families who they want to support their kids and they want to do the best job that they can. And they just don't know what they don't know. And that's really. No, no.
0: I meant the kids were ignorant of yeah. Because they weren't informed. I didn't mean to like, I wasn't trying to insult your relatives. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, one of the things that I hope to do is, is to really help people understand kind of their blind spots, you know, when it comes mm. to parenting and, you know, teaching, I've been a teacher teaching social emotional learning for six years. And, you know, it's kind of like, we have to really explore our own blind spots or biases, so that we can show up for kids and not make assumptions um but we don't know we live in a you know one of the things too with my book is i really talk about heteronormativity and it's kind of like a fish swimming in water A fish doesn't know that it's in water and yeah. so really kind of you know not even realizing that oh my gosh like i have to have these proactive conversations and really be curious about who my my my, my kid is um, so that I don't kind of just assume something based on these unconscious heteronormative assumptions.
0: Yeah, and and that's all, it can be like a hard ask. You know, it's like it's it's if you're in that water, you just assume. You know, we if you were raised in a heteronormative culture and you're you don't know anyone, you may not know anyone who's gay, you may not know anyone who's trans, and and then to people don't make that a assu- people don't like question that about kids could they be gay or not you know they they don't assume that you know, it was interesting like um my i for me like this was like i i thought about that when my kids were little and i remember telling them you know like yeah like men can marry men and women can marry women. And I remember my two daughters were three months, three years apart. My youngest daughter said, Oh, well, can I marry Maggie then? (laughs) I was like, Oh, that's so sweet. But no, you can't. And, but it was interesting. So I felt like I was like really, um, like I had explored some of these questions you're asking people to explore. And then, you know, and then as our like, as kids got older, like I I realized like confronted by other people around me and other kids going through their own, you know, their own changes and explorations and et cetera, that you know, I could see like, oh, like I I have an issue with this. Like, isn't that interesting? Like, what's going on here? It's really um, I think it, I I think the sort of explosion in how the world has changed so much has like change things a lot but then it's also like making us look at in a lot of ways like oh what are what are the biases we hold yeah
1: yeah 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 I love I love that kind of example and kind of explanation is you know one of the analogies that I love giving when I teach classes with you know the young people I work with is you know I always kind of say okay what if your parents ask you to clean your room? And you know they're gonna. You you had company coming over in a half an hour, and so they told you to you know go in and clean your room. And so you run in your room and you start to pick up the clothes and dust off the shelves and you know pick up your room. And, and it's getting closer to the time, and and your room's clean. And then you and then you look under the bed and you realize, oh my gosh, underneath my bed is all the you know dirty clothes and kind of leftover snacks. You know my my niece herself, she you know puts stuff under her bed. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, and and then your parents come in the room and they look oh my gosh, your room's clean. You clean your room, but you know that underneath the bed is still dirty. So is, can you technically say your room's clean? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of this invitation for me, kind of what I feel like kind of is going on societally is when we get to clean under our bed. And that's kind of the exploration of our biases and our assumptions that we make as we are looking underneath our bed when we yeah. do that and really getting in there and cleaning cleaning them out.
0: As parents, we know that there are so many things in life that we have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there is no compromise. So don't go back to that doctor that doesn't really listen to you. Instead, check out Zocdoc. This is a place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health And you can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally, there's no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you actually know about. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com slash mindful and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash mindful. ZocDoc.com slash mindful. I want to tell you about a great podcast that you should check out, especially if you ever deal with any school system, which you probably do. is called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And this season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and busts common myths about special education. I highly recommend you check it out to listen to. Understood explains. Just search for "understood explains" in your podcast app. That's it. Understood explains. Thinking it's interesting because we think about like how things have changed so enormously, right? And like we can think about, well, the, you know it's it's normal. It's it, you know LGBTQ lifestyle is normalized now. Yet in a lot of ways, like um. Or LGBT, whatever. I I probably am gonna use lots of the wrong words, Chris. You could just have to (laughs) help me out here. (laughs) That's one of the fears people have about talking about these things, right? Is that we're gonna say the wrong words. But like the things have changed so enormously, but there's also been this backlash, right? It seems like there's been this huge backlash. I mean, Florida, the whole don't say gay bill. Um, all the, the, the anti transgender laws and things like that. Maybe you could just kind of give us, before we keep going, uh, what are some of the challenges right now that LGBTQ people have to deal with? What are the issues yeah. that yeah. contending with?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, and I appreciate you saying too that, you know, people, and that's one of the things I talk about in my book is that, you know, parents sometimes they don't want to say something because they fear what to say, they fear getting it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really important to be mindful and, you know, one of the chapters in my book, I really talk about how words matter. Mm-hmm. And when we use words over and over to describe certain communities, that's where these subconscious biases mm-hmm. get rooted. And then that's the worldview that we perceive people in, and that's what creates the difference. And so when it comes to kids, my, one of my hopes with my book is, I really center children's experiences and my hope is to really get on their level and what it's like being an LGBTQ kid in a classroom in a family in a community and their kids are like sponges they pick up everything and Mm -hmm. when they're they're constantly looking for affirmation they're constantly looking for. uh, To know that they're they're okay and. know, and they fit in
0: the tribe, right? Like that's an incredibly important human drive is to be accepted into the tribe because otherwise evolutionarily that would mean death.
1: Right, 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 right. And so, you know, words like lifestyle, words like issues to describe LGBTQ, the LGBTQ community, you know, what issues and constantly there's, that's one of the things I, I kind of tackle in in the first chapter of my book is the DSM-5, which is the mental health kind of how you're described with mental illness diagnosed with a mental health condition and, you know, just the history of sexuality, homosexuality being considered a a mental health disorder and also connected to gender dysphoria, uh, which is another diagnosable condition that is kind of convoluted with, you know, folks who are non-binary, gender non-conforming, gender diverse. What is
0: gender dysphoria for the listener who doesn't know what that means?
1: So gender dysphoria would be a diagnosable, you would need to meet criteria, and you have specific things that you feel not connected to your body, and you're suffering mental health conditions as a result. So higher rates of anxiety, higher rates of depression. It's it's a it's an effect on your mental well-being and daily functioning.
0: So that might occur if. Someone were like a, a trans man in a female body, they might feel that those that would be something that might occur in that circumstance.
1: Yes. Okay. yeah. And not every person who is transgender, for
0: example,
1: or, for example <laughs> yes, uh, has or experiences gender gender dysphoria. So it's not something that mm-hmm. all trans people have gender dys- dysphoria. Um, But using it in the DSM-5 could be considered problematic because it's something that is.
0: So it says it's a pathology.
1: Yes, it's pathologized. Exactly. Um, Right. So that's kind of my hope with really having these conversations is to be able to kind of unpack and explore because that's connected to the cultural experiences that we're seeing, especially right now with the increased rates of you know, the laws that are popping up across the country, mm-hmm. anti-LGBTQ legislation. And I really, I address that in, in my book about, you know, when when you have cultural dynamics, this this happens throughout history is if you kind of explore just societies, the way that we, we kind of progress is once you have kind of society swinging mm-hmm. one way, just by virtue of gravity, the pendulum swings back around. And so we make momentum and progress, and then it's kind of like cleaning up our room. We have to kind of go back through and do one mat, one more pass to kind of get in there and get out the, the deeper layers of, of, of stuff. And I feel like that's kind of what we're seeing is there's been a lot of progress. And then naturally, just by cult, virtue of cultural dynamics, you're going to see kind of the pushback.
0: Okay. All right. Cool. So but okay. So not issues, but challenges. And I'm I'm curious about the challenges that LGBTQ folks are experiencing now, because like, for instance, my daughter, who's 15, she, we live in, you know, she lives in a very accepting family in a really pretty like liberal accepting community, like extremely, I would say probably <laughs> for where we live, liberal accepting community. So she's like, she's as far as i can tell like as this goes she seems totally fine with everything <clears throat> but the, i know that there that's not the same case for everybody and i know that there are challenges that come along with with being lgbtq that are are not happening for people who are for kids or that are heteronormative so maybe you could just share some of those because i think it's important for parents to understand that when we maybe don't talk about these things with our kids or we don't think my my child could be gay or my child could be trans like my little kid like could later grow up to be you know discover it realize that they they are gay or trans um they you know we don't realize that there are some real serious repercussions Uh, and challenges that kids are going through
1: yeah yeah definitely and I think I appreciate that question because I think it's really important, and LGBTQ youth have increased rates of substance use, suicidality, depression, anxiety, and, you know, one of, going back kind of back to the original question is the impetus of the book, is that, you know, I worked at a very large nightclub here in Los Angeles, and it happens to be a gay bar. It's very well known. If you come to LA, most people kind of know you know, this place. And I worked there for 11 years, and I really saw the effects of uh, trauma, un- unhealed trauma, um, the effects of what it's like growing up in the closet. I mentioned shame, you know, e- even if mm-hmm. a child comes out at a young age, there's still a time period that they were in the closet. And the closet can serve for safety, if the family is not supportive. So there, there are there can be some benefits of the closet. What I really want to help people understand is that it's also really a place where constantly you're feeling like something's wrong with you, that you're you have to hide who you are. And that's like scar tissue. That 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 develops this kind of thick like layers that can feel oppressive. And so increased rates of substance use, um, internalized homophobia, internalized transphobia. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things, my, my, the subtitle of my book is A Parent's Guide to Changing the Messages from the Playground. And the messages from the playground, that's kind of a through line that I, I use throughout the, the book to describe a metaphor. The, the messages are our subconscious beliefs, and the playground is our mind or our collective consciousness. Uh, you know, I'm in graduate school right now finishing up my master's in clinical psychology and I work at a training site. All my clients are LGBTQ and I, the youngest client I have is 20. The oldest client I have is 63. And one of the things I assess for as a mental health clinician is the degree of internalized homophobia mm. because how that manifests is problems with relationships, low self-esteem. Um, when I'm looking at, anxiety or depression or mental health conditions, I'm looking at it through an LGBTQ affirmative lens. And so a lot of that is rooted in it's not just anxiety, it's not just depression. It's anxiety rooted in heteronormativity. It's it's yeah, depression. that they weren't
0: accepted. That it, exactly all of and, that that and, adds up enormously. Yeah,
1: and that adds up enormously. And so then you start to have in adults, you know, one of the things I, you know, I think is really just to kind of give you anecdotally what that looks like, because you know we're kind of having you know children, they grow up and they become adults. And if a lot of this stuff isn't kind of normalized or talked about or accepted, then that manifests as kind of an attack on the self. And so mm-hmm. when we get into intimate partner relationships, then if that's unhealed, then we can project that onto our partners. So the parts that we don't like in ourselves will project that onto our partner. And so one of the things that I think is really important um, is that intimate partner violence in non-LGBTQ relationships and intimate partner violence in LGBTQ relationships um, pretty much are kind of at the same rate. Hmm. LGBT intimate partner violence in the LGBTQ community. The difference is, is intimate partner violence in the LGBTQ community always occurs in the context of anti-LGBTQ bias what does that mean? That means internalized homophobia. So basically the societal oppression is introjected into the person. And then that's manifesting as an attack on the self and attack on on, on a partner.
0: So my husband's had hair thinning issues for years, for a long time. It's not something he'd love to have. And he's done some things for it. But recently started using Nutrafol. And oh my gosh, we have actually seen quite a difference. Did you know that for women, hair thinning happens in approximately one in two women? And if you're among them, I want you to know that you're definitely not alone. It's normal, but it's not openly talked about. And going through it can feel lonely and frustrating. But you can join over 1 million people who are doing something about it with Nutrafol. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair with less shedding, like my honey. Physician-formulated with drug-free ingredients, Nutrafol supplements support healthy hair growth from within by targeting root causes of thinning, including stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism as they evolve throughout a woman's life. And while many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol's women's hair growth supplement for six months. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription required, free shipping, and automated deliveries to ensure you'll never miss a day. See results in three to six months. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to nutrifol.com and enter the promo code MINDFULPARENTING. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrifol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L. Dot .com promo code mindful parenting that's com promo code mindful parenting
2: are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff play joy relationships gratitude and more if you answered yes to any of these questions i invite you to check out edit your life A podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out edit your life wherever you enjoy your podcasts.
0: Okay. So parents, if you have tiny children right now and you are not thinking anything about these things, this is let what chris is saying to you be a wake up call because you want your child to be healthy mentally healthy emotionally healthy grounded we know that mental and emotional health is what will let our child do all the things they want to do in the world and and have that confidence in this, themselves to be able to go out in the world and 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 be who they want to be that that grounding of acceptance from us and if they I, I just wanted to pull this out of Chris, right? Like we need, I think some of us to be scared a little to say like, look, this can happen if we don't lay this foundation of acceptance, we can have a lot, we can lay a lot of challenges at the feet of our children. And you may think, well, oh, this is a fraught issue. My child is too young. I don't want to not talking about it. Right. But there's issues with not talking about it too. Right. Can, can you talk about that a little bit, Chris? Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the chapters of my book, I, I, it's called benign neglect and how not communicating something is still communicating. And that's kind of turning a blind eye and children are so intuitive. They're so they're like sponges. They absorb everything one of the the title of my TEDx talk is called what children learn from the things we don't Say mm. and and so the conversations that parents don't have I, I grew up in a you know fa- the family disease of addiction um, is you know I have a lot of family members who have have addiction and you know as a kid growing up I knew what was going on in my family but no one was talking about it and I observed things I picked up things I was very very uh, Hyper aware, and and so what I interpreted is like, oh, we don't talk about these things. These are bad. This is shameful. And so the messages that I got were the things that we don't talk about are bad, or they're mm-hmm. wrong, or they're uncomfortable. And and so then my hope is is you know one of the things that I think the most difficult chapter I, I wrote was chapter nine of my book because I really addressed kind of some of the big reasons why people don't want to talk about these subjects with kids is that we think we're talking about sex or sexuality. And so what I invite readers to consider is that we're putting our adult constructs of sex and sexuality onto kids. And that's not what this is about at all. This is about talking about a child's normal, natural development. They're developing their gender, they're developing their sexuality right now. you know i i recently watched for the first time um the movie it's a wonderful life um, i've
0: never seen it never seen it oh <laughs> i know it sounds so weird
1: <laughs> no i i literally just it for the first time yeah, i yeah. just saw it for the first time last week um <laughs> it's like a classic movie a lot i'm sure a lot of your listeners um have have watched it but there's a scene that's so sweet and innocent in the very beginning of the movie where the young boy is working at i think it's like a, a shop or a candy he's at the like a, a counter you know, with, with ice cream. And there's a little girl who's waiting for him. And they're probably like, I don't know, eight years old. And she's waiting at the counter and he comes to work and, and it's clearly like she has a crush on him. And another girl enters the store and you see the leather girl at the counter looking at the other girl and she's jealous. And the little boy, uh, part of the storyline is that he can't hear out of one of his ears. So he's getting her ice cream ready and she whispers in his ear, I'm going to love you forever. And and it's just this sweet kind of scene and I'm watching it and I'm thinking that's an example of heteronormativity where we just kind of, that is just accepted and seen as sweet and innocent and crushes. You know, we all have a crush. Mm -hmm. Um, I watched a video last night where the guy was asking people in the audience, you know, when did, when was your first crush? Who was your first crush? And everyone in the audience went around and said who their first crush was. They could remember it when they were little. Kids. Oh, oh
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. I held hands with John John Alameda at nap time in kindergarten.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> in kindergarten. yeah. that. And one of the people in the audience said that too, like, Oh, I was in kindergarten. And, and, and that's, that's kind of my whole, like, that's what I, my, I desire. My hope is that we can have that same kind of Cute, Mm. like joy, Mm. like right now your face. Mm -hmm. If you're the joy that you had in expressing that crush, that same kind of innocent joy for a kid who's LGBTQ as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I would hope we could have that. I don't know if we're there yet because I think we all have too much internalized homophobia in us. You know, like at this point. You know, I mean, when I was growing up, you know, I mean, we definitely gay was like the most common insults on the sure. playground for, uh, and through high school, it wasn't even questioned yeah, at all. Like that was not that long ago. I mean, I graduated in 1996. It wasn't like hugely. And to go from that to your vision in such a short amount of time, I'm not sure we're quite there yet, but I like the vision. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, I think, you know, I think it's, I think I, I mean, we have, we have to have hope. We have to have hope. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the mm-hmm. quotes that I use in my book from Harvey uh, Milk. And, and you know, we have to give them hope. And that that's the idea is that I think with anything that we, uh, you know, that we care about, whether it's anti-racist work, whether it's, you know, the war that's going on, mm-hmm. you know, like all of these things, we, we have to have hope. And, you know, that's kind of my, my hope is that if I can do this work within my own life, You know, one of the things that I really believe strongly is that we can only take others as far as we've gone ourselves. Mm. And so as a teacher, as a parent, as an uncle, as a family member, the work that I do in my life is going to impact the next generation. Mm. And And that's what this is. This is really doing the work for the next generation.
0: I think this this is fascinating. And and of course, dear listener, this all ties back into mindfulness and awareness, self-awareness. Like we can do zero to change what we're not aware of. And part of self-awareness is like rock on for you. You're listening to this right now, developing your self-awareness. And maybe there are some things coming up for you. Maybe there's some discomfort and that's okay. We can examine that and look at that and let it be our teacher. So, we don't want to not talk. <laughs> That's not good.
2: Uh,
0: what this was a question. So I, I told you, like I said to my mindful mom mentor team, all right, Chris is coming on the podcast. You all have little kids. I've got teens. What are the questions that we have? And one of the big questions and I'm sure you get it constantly is at what age should parents begin to have conversations about when, what are the conversations we should have?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I invite parents and caregivers and the people I speak to is, you know, this isn't a one-size-fits-all conversation and and it's not a one-time conversation. It's ongoing and it's kind of my my invitation to people is to be curious and to listen and and to ask questions and, you know, my niece as an example, you know, she so really quick to address, like at what age, I think that if a child is old enough to ask questions, that's a pretty good ind- indication that they're able to kind of take in information at age appropriate levels um, mm. and and start to kind of be curious with them and talk to them and ask them. You know, a lot of times, you know, I'll talk to my nieces and nephews about stuff and then I'll mention it to my sister, I'll mention it to my mom and and they'll say, did they didn't tell me that and I and I feel like it's because I have a genuine curiosity um and, and interest in and not that their parents don't, but I feel like the energy that we bring to a conversation with a with a young person is felt. Mm-hmm. And and my niece uh recently, she's nine years old, and she a few weeks ago we did a FaceTime and she was telling me about a gender reveal party that she went to.
0: Uh, what do you think of those? It's like a weird, I, it's like developed after I had my kids as a yeah, phenomenon. Yeah, <laughs> it's so yeah, interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so I was curious to hear from her yeah. what she understood as far uh-huh. as what a gender reveal party was. And what was curious to me is that it was almost like she was just kind of regurgitating information that mm-hmm. like clearly these weren't necessarily her ideas they were it was kind of what was told to her about what a gender reveal reveal party was and so mm-hmm. i started to ask her you know well what about you know boys who like pink um and and you know one of the things that you know i'm sure your readers will or listeners and readers will understand is that you know children when they're very young they have a very rigid and fixed way of of thinking that's just how yeah, the like brain age
0: 5 I think is peak rigidity.
1: Yeah, that's like that's just how the brain develops that's kind of childhood mm-hmm. development. So um I was able to kind of really talk to her and and be curious about the conversation and And then challenge her for the colors of only boys like blue and only girls like pink. And and she kind of resisted because of just that kind of more fixed way of of thinking. But that's seed planting to me. This is Mm -hmm. kind of answering the question is that we get to have ongoing conversations. And so then a few weeks later, we did another FaceTime and she showed up and she had a blue shirt on. And not even that she was aware of it, but I mentioned, oh, that's I like your shirt. That's a blue. You're wearing a blue shirt. And she looked down and she remembered the conversation we had and that was a good kind of example of like oh girls can like blue as well so it's kind of like introducing the conversation at the age that they're starting to tell you things and ask questions and then also be proactive and i recommend you know i love getting kids books children books Mm. yeah that
0: was another question we had on my team was um books geared towards children that you find helpful what are they <laughs> uh, i
1: i have chapter 10 of my book i include okay. all of my favorite books and they're they're by ages uh mm-hmm. what what books are are there um i definitely recommend books i think they're so helpful to be able to you know that that that's just a really great bonding time that you get to be with a, a young person and, and flip through and and read books um I stopped giving my my nieces and nephews presents, and I would give them I would give them books. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to share a couple examples because that's helpful for the listener. Sure. Um, uh, Chris has books ages two and up, ages three and up, four and up. Um, you know, uh, read a crayon story. Love makes a family. I am jazz are in the four and up list. Jacob's new dress. Um, who has what I love, who has what I recommend, who has what all the time, mm. because it is a great book, uh, for three and up for kids asking questions about their bodies. It's, it's such a great book. Um, and, uh, and other ones. Uh, so, so yeah, so there are, are lots then, then that's a great, I find that's a great, because if you don't have, Maybe you don't have any gay people in your life, like you you know that you know of, and and you maybe you live in a community that's, you know, uh, not so friendly to, to LGBTQ people. Bring some books into your house, yeah. and that is a a speaker, you know, that talks to that opens the door for conversations, even when you're you're not there. Um, I and the whole pink and blue thing is so interesting. I was like, I uh, it's, it's fascinating because in the Victorian era, pink was the color for little boys. It right. actually indicated yeah. little boys, and light blue was the color for little girls. And it right. switched,
1: right. and
0: little boys wore dresses for yeah. a long time.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: probably right. a lot easier to like pee if you're a little little boy and you have a just a dress on. You're just gonna lift it up. I imagine probably. it's probably all yeah. practicality.
1: Yeah. But practicality, yeah. <laughs> or if you live in Scotland.
0: Yeah. 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 <laughs> the kilts. Yeah. Um, OK. So, what age should we begin to have these conversations when they're asking the questions? Yeah. Or can we, you know, and I think that you're right. Like, I mean, I personally believe in like transparency for kids. Like, let's teach them about the world we l- yeah. live in. Like, when they ask questions, answer those questions in a way that is, comfort, you know, is age appropriate for them? And we don't have to, we don't have to answer a question with all the information. We can give sure. a piece of the information and uh, then see if they have any more questions. Yeah. Maybe just, oh, those two men are holding hands. Maybe they're married and, yeah. and that's all you would need yeah. to say. And if they have any more questions, yeah. Ask. Yeah. Some more, you know, you answer yeah. some more questions. Would yeah. that be... Yeah, yeah, he's saying I, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I think I
1: think I think that's a great idea, and I think that again, going back to heteronormativity and just the the just the constant, you know, we take in hundreds of thousands of of data of information just through, you know, be navigating through the world. You know, we're taking mm-hmm. in taking in taking in information, and and if 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 I'd say, you know, if the majority of that is heteronormative, then just subconsciously, you know, kids are getting information, picking up, picking up information. And so I remember, you know, I'm sure you, you, when, 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 for your book, you know, you really have to take into mind the reader, like, who is this reader? Who am I writing this book for? And I literally went through and had in mind the specific people in my life who mm. I had conversations with, you know, I remember, um, a good friend of my family friend, you know, her sister's a lesbian. And, she didn't realize and she's a lo- she loves her sister and is very accepting and she didn't realize that whenever her sister would come over her kids were i think 4 and 6 at the time and she would refer to her sister's girlfriend as her sister's friend and she didn't even realize that she was doing that and then when she did tell her her girls that her sister was a lesbian and was with it was her partner mm-hmm The little girl's response was ooh mommy girls can't kiss girls and and so that kind of was her realization of like oh my gosh like i have to take these kind of proactive steps because children are just picking up information and that's kind of that rigid Mm -hmm. construct that they're based they're basing off of what their 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 worldview of what they're they're seeing and experiencing
0: so would you recommend you know when kids I mean I, I guess it'd be interesting to bring a child development specialist into this right like because like when kids are super rigid particularly about gender roles like around age five because I remember finding that really interesting because because I really chafed against as a feminist like the, the ideas that girls should just be this way and boys should just be this way I wasn't necessarily like looking at it from like an LGBTQ standpoint but I had like you know my girls wore clothes from the boys section at times. And, and, you know, I didn't, I tried to like keep the minute, the pink that flowed into our house to a minimum, <laughs> but um, would you, I mean, I wonder if, is, is it a good idea at those times when kids are highly rigid to push back and like ask them some questions about whether they think some of those things are true about these the sort of rigid stereotypes they're they are developing just through their own development
1: yeah yeah i i think i think so i i do and i think that that helps that creates for me that's information gathering
0: yeah because i'm helping
1: i i i'm getting a glimpse into their worldview and and' I'm, it's not that i'm telling them to to think a certain way it's that i'm i'm challenging how they're thinking i'm being curious not not what they think but how they think. Like how are they coming up with these, you know, ideas? Um, recently I was in class and the professor asked everyone, you know, what, how, what is the percentage of our brain? And the majority of the class said that humans use 10% of our brain
0: which is not true which Bye. is not
1: true not true it's not true it's not true and he gave a whole he, he he's a neuroscience and he gave a whole thing about how where that myth came from it, it was from 18 I think 1895 from a French uh, uh uh researcher put out a journal article and and it's still in our conversations today that people believe that we only use 10% of our brain. I use that anecdotally just to kind of connect it to these kind of unconscious beliefs that we all have that we get to kind of, well, where did you get that from? How, like, how did you come to think about it that way?
0: Mm -hmm. All right. I think that's, yeah, I think that is so important. It's interesting. Like, I, it's an interesting time, you know, because also I think that, you know, as a, as a parent of adolescents, and I, you know, there's like a lot of adolescent kids in my community, which I said is like super sort of liberal and artsy and and things like that. It's this intentional community, so you know, we've got we're like a whole bunch of old hippies started anyway, um, because kids also I'm, I'm noticing now are like like um, gender and sexuality is a place where they're really open and curious and experimenting and I think that scares a lot of parents I mean honestly that you know I it's interesting because I guess we don't know sort of like I think the the I mean obviously from the the legislation that's being introduced in a lot of different parts of the country the idea of having a trans kid scares probably a lot of parents and they're worried about their kids being influenced by the larger culture to question things and then take some steps that may, you know, they're scared that their kids would take some steps that could harm them or, or re you know, harm their reproductive capacity. They don't, they don't want to like, you know, they don't want to, you know, call their, have their kid reject the name they were given, you know, and re, you know, the whole idea, I mean, I personally think that the idea of calling it like a dead name is so extreme. Like, can't we call it a former name? Like these parents, I see it from the point of view of the parents who like had X number of years with this child, and then they're saying the name is dead. But it's I'm curious about that piece, like where we're in this transitionary phase and how parents can walk the middle path, maybe. Is there a middle path from between being, uh, like between the, of being non-accepting and, and being, maybe being supporting changes that their child may regret, right? Like, is there like a middle path between that? What How do you see this, Chris?
1: Yeah, I do. And I, I, I talk about that in my book as far as, you know, the phases of acceptance. And mm. in my experience, you know, it's not like anything in life, you know, it's not a straight line and it's going to be a certain way and it's going to be perfect and tied up in a nice bow. Um, mm. You know, life kind of happens on life's terms. And I do believe that kids are the future. And I believe that each generation has something to teach us. And I feel like, you know, my book is very much a spiritual book. And I believe on a soul level that, you know, we each come into this life to to change something and we have a purpose. And I feel like the LGBTQ community kids right now today are teaching us how to be better people. And Mm. it's through the process that we're going through to be able to get there that's helping us be better humans. If we're open to it, Mm. I think there is a middle path. I think absolutely there is. And I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's absolutely a parents that's, that's part of being a parent is, you know, you, you kind of project into your child, a lot of the things that, you know, you didn't receive as a kid growing up or, or you want to help bring them something that you didn't get and, and you want them to be a certain way. And, and you have all these hopes and expectations and, and then they, they're not that way. Yeah. And, and then you, and then you have to kind of work through that or hopefully you you're able to work through that. Um, and I think that yeah,
0: even, I would say for my daughter, when she told me that she was gay, I kind of like called, it would have been a long day. I saw a new brand new rainbow flag over and I was like, Hey honey, are you lesbian? <laughs> I think I called it from the yeah. stairs and she was like, yeah, I thought you knew. And I was like, "Huh." anyway, but like, there was some processing for, I mean, I thought it was like, a, you know, I was like, oh, like there's some processing for me to do, you know, with this, I, I accept her completely 150%, but you know, at that time it was like, oh, this was a, a break in my expectation for her, sure. you know, yeah. that I didn't even realize I had. So,
1: right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, because I think that that really is my, that, that, that's really what the book is for. That's really what this conversation is for. I go to a lot of support meetings. I go to a lot of support groups. PFLAG, for your listeners, is a wonderful, wonderful organization. They have chapters all over the country. Um, and I go to a lot of support- What does it
0: stand for, PFLAG?
1: PFLAG Parents and Families. It used to stand for Parents and Families of Lesbian and Gays. Okay. It, it's since changed, and so it's parents and family members of the LGBTQ community. Um, And they do support groups, they do advocacy, um, wonderful, wonderful organization. And I go to support groups where parents like yourself who are processing their child's coming out and they wanna be supportive and accepting. And my hope is down the road that the more that we get to peel away the layers of heteronormativity and kind of these um, unconscious blind spots is that we won't have to process if our child does come out because Mm -hmm. it wouldn't have been something that
0: yeah maybe our children won't have to anyway yeah (laughs) yeah yeah
1: yeah. and you know and 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 even now though there is going Mm -hmm. back to your question about the middle path you know there is phases of acceptance and and ultimately the last phase is I hope that parents and caregivers can get to a place of celebration Mm -hmm. Um, and, and and not from a place of I, you know, I talk about this in my book too, about the difference between, you know, when you, when you, I know my own experience with young people is that when I, when I bring too, like, when I make something too much of a big deal, like it almost mm. kind of, mm-hmm. it almost kind of has like an adversive um, message to them.
0: Yeah. 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 Like we're trying too hard. You want it to yeah. be normalized. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <sighs> Interesting. There's probably so many things I could talk to you about with <laughs> this, Chris. We have to let you go. The book is raising LGBTQ allies. Um, so I just want to like kind of go over like we want to be having these conversations with kids at at the ages like we want to. They're asking questions. Maybe provide some you know books to kind of just like let them explore in their own time. Um, But I think kind of what I'm hearing from you is that obviously not talking or not talking about it with our kids until they're, I don't know, you know, adolescents or older is giving them a message of that not talking is a message Mm -hmm. that. That there's something wrong or bad, you know, that is giving them that message. And so, if you have a toddler, dear listener, and you're listening now, and you want your toddler to feel that acceptance, no matter who they are, right? No matter what their sexual, gender, orientation, whatever, and you want you you know, your intention now as they're little is to love them for who they are and have a lifelong positive relationship with them, then these are the steps that we should take. We want to be allies no matter who our kids turn out to be. That's kind of the message I'm getting from you.
1: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate being here and I appreciate being able to have this conversation. And I would invite your listeners to consider, I'll leave on one last thing is that you know, all relationships begin with curiosity. Mm -hmm. All relationships begin with curiosity. And there is a story that I use in my book where a father was talking to his his daughter and she's a lesbian, came out, you know, later in life and they didn't have a good relationship. And the father was kind of making amends to her and saying, you know, I realized that it wasn't your job to teach me who you were. It was my job to understand Mm -hmm. and learn who you were. And, and yes. that goes back to, you know, all relationships begin with curiosity and the relationships that we have with our kids, the pe- the young people in our lives. It can begin with just that curiosity.
0: Yeah. Interest, curiosity. It's the opposite on the spectrum from judgment, dear listener, right? Like mindfulness is... Be- intentionally being in the present with an attitude of kindness and curiosity. So I love that. I love, love, love that you're ending with that, Chris. That's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us, to write that letter to your family, to yeah. share your thoughts. I think it's really powerful and it's it's really needed um to approach this conversation from so many angles and and um yeah i appreciate you putting this work into the world
1: yeah thank you hunter i appreciate being here and thank you for having me
0: I hope you appreciated this episode you know i think it was important conversation for me to have but this may be you too at some point but listen if you like this episode if you learned something from it share it with your friends but do me a favor and take a screenshot of it and share it on instagram and tag me share it in your stories tag me in it at mindful mama mentor and I would love to see what your takeaways are. If you have any that is making this podcast great is this feedback we get. And hey, listen, dear listener, I think we're at over 2 million downloads now. What? 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 Can you imagine? So cool. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for spending your time with me. I mean, our attention is our most precious resource. And what you put your attention to grows, right? Where attention flows, energy grows. You know, I appreciate you spending this time, spending your precious attention, watering these good seeds with me. I hope this, this episode has, you know, becomes food for conversation and for thought for you. And if it does, let me know. It, it really means so much to me to find out. So I'm wishing you peace and wishing you ease in your day and weeks and your months ahead. And I can't wait to talk to you again. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. Namaste.
2: I'd say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change
1: your relationship with
2: your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth
3: it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them
2: and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working?
3: I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you.
1: No
2: matter what age someone's child is, It's a great opportunity for personal growth, and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I have this. You can continue in your old habits that aren't working, or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in
3: your parenting. Are
0: you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for community people who get it, who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clark Fields. And if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You will be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the wait list. So you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. mindfulparentingcourse.com.
3: Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence